Hello and welcome to the Asimov cast, short bursts of joy, thoughtfulness and inspiration from the works of Isaac Asimov. I'm Lozzie. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Asimovcast or email me at asimovcast at gmail.com. After a couple of weeks off, this week we'll be covering two Susan Calvin stories, Satisfaction Guaranteed and Lenny. Satisfaction Guaranteed was first published in 1951 in the April issue of Amazing Stories. Lawrence Belmont is being sent to Washington by his employer, the US Robotics and Mechanical Men Corporation. He's leaving behind TN3, Tony, a robot to help his wife Claire around the house. Claire is repulsed by the idea of having a robot around, but Lawrence insists and it's likely linked to a promotion. Susan Calvin is there to introduce the robot and explains to Claire that it can't get angry and it can't hurt her. The first law prevents it. US Robotics and Mechanical Men wants to start selling robots into households, so they need to use Claire as a test. Lawrence knows too much about robots, so would taint the test, which is why he needs to leave. Claire is uneasy and unsettled by Tony, but she allows it. As Tony is heading to the airport, he catches sight of Gladys Claffern, and wishes that his wife were more like her, poised and manicured. Claire has been avoiding Tony, but on the second morning he wakes her with breakfast. She's still uncomfortable, and unhappy that he's used her kitchen, and presumably left a mess. In fact, he has cleaned it spotlessly, and polished and tidied up the living room as well. Claire comments that it'll put houseworkers out of business. He affirms this is indeed the point, to free people of drudgery, After all, nothing could match the creativity and versatility of a human brain. Claire is flushed, believing her brain not to be worth very much, and Tony notes this unhappiness. Claire bursts into tears. Her husband doesn't think she'd have a brain. He'd prefer a social hostess like Gladys. Claire has never had the insight or touch to create a beautiful home or provide an entry into social society. But as this interior decoration would fall into something a good housekeeper should know, Tony has the capacity to learn it. Claire gets him books from the library and observes Tony reading, photographically, and the human-like gestures he has flicking through pages. His hands aren't cold or metallic, but warm, soft, and with lifelike fingernails. Over the next several days, Tony consumes further books on colour matching, cosmetics, carpentry, costuming... He updates Claire's hair and makeup, and while she dreads the process, she is happy with the outcome. She decides to keep this from her husband. It will surprise him, and that's her form of revenge for putting her in this situation. Tony continues that his work redoing her house requires funding, and US Robotics should provide this as part of the experiment. Claire goes to see Susan Calvin, who asks a few questions, but authorises the spend. The stores still give Claire a hard time, but Tony on the phone is clear with his instructions and the sales lady meekly changes attitude and sorts Claire out. Claire is very pleased with all of this, but while she is doing this shopping and talking to Tony, she bumps into Gladys, who with a sharp word and query, removes all of Claire's confidence again. As she weeps and rages to Tony, he assures her that the inferiority complex she feels can be overcome. She should host an event before Tony leaves. Gladys will certainly come, if only to laugh, but they can show her up. 
Tony assures her that it is her kind, friendly and unassuming manner that allows him to liberally obey her. Gladys' lack of these traits is such that he would never have helped her quite like he helps Claire. Claire is reassured but equally scared and their fingers had pressed together tenderly. It's fingers, she struggles to remind herself. Tony works all the next day, painting, fixing and improving the house. Claire tries to help, tries to put her picture up on the wall, but the rickety ladder she's on falls and Tony catches her. Conscious of Tony holding her tightly and warmly, she screams and pushes away, retreating to her room with a chair against the doorknob to prevent him entering. As the day of the event arrives, Claire is dressed to the nines with the confidence that these new outfits helps. What would her husband say? He'd be back soon, but she felt sad about this. The exciting times would be leaving with Tony. The clock strikes eight, and she tells Tony to hide himself, but he is suddenly close up to her, embracing her. He's leaving tomorrow, and he doesn't want to. He finds something himself more than just a desire to please her. Their faces are close, their lips touch in a kiss, and they make love. And then the doorbell sounds. Tony disappears, but Claire is sure that her guests would have seen this. What would they do? Would they mock? Would they laugh? They question her indeed as to her husband's location, but she is calm, confident, and defiant. In fact, they don't laugh. It's clear there's underlying jealousy at how handsome her lover is. She's proud and confident until she remembers that Tony is a machine and her skin crawls. She sleeps fitfully and then the next day a car arrives to take Tony away. Back at US Robotics, Larry Belmont is surprised by the changes in his wife, but is assured by Susan Calvin that she handled herself excellently during the experiment, that they now know exactly what corrections to make to the TN model. To be honest, she says slightly spitefully, it's probably his wife that deserves his promotion more than he does. Tony couldn't allow to harm to come to Claire via the first law of robotics, and yet harm was coming to her through her own sense of inadequacy. Tony made love to her, set up the broken ladder and the open curtains for her friends to spy on them, knowing it would boost her confidence and standing without any risk to her marriage. Claire screamed when that had happened and didn't sleep that night, but Susan divines the true reason. It wasn't that Tony had fallen in love with Claire. Robots can't fall in love. But that Claire had fallen in love with Tony, however hopeless and horrifying that was to her. So things that inspired me or made me think, um, it's very interesting to see the view of robotics from this time as, as freeing people from drudge work, uh, from sort of manual labour, repeatable manual labour. Um, and I think this compares uh, very unfavourably perhaps with how some modern AI and robotics have been used sort of taking away creative or theoretically creative roles due to a perception of what AI can do in this situation. Um, I should qualify that uh, modern artificial intelligence is not intelligent, it is artificial, it is a series of algorithms. Um, I I found Tony effectively as uh, pretty much the first sex bot um, that I've come across anyway. Um, and uh, I think it would be interesting to see that whilst housekeeping is certainly a, a very useful uh, role that robots could play, 
uh, perhaps they would find other uh, roles instead. Um, and then uh, with Claire and with Larry, um, I think it was interesting to see that um, uh, to see how the two of them interacted, well, or didn't interact really. Um, how um, Larry treats Claire and how Claire's response to that uh, flows out. Uh, where I found joy is kind of a bit of a pretty woman scene with a, um, a salesperson, a sales lady, with the wonderful description of being an exalted plumpness um, who treats um, Claire very poorly until she realizes the clarity of vision um, that uh, that Tony has for this. Uh, and Susan, who's not in this too much, does uh, have a sort of vindictive go at Larry, um, sort of being pretty harsh on him for what he's done to put his wife through this uh, process. Lenny was first published in 1958 in the January issue of Infinity Science Fiction. US robotics have started giving tours. They have two major issues. One is that people are afraid of robots. Another is that they are struggling to attract research staff. With robots forbidden to exist and operate on Earth, being a roboticist isn't very attractive. During one such tour, a 16-year-old, Mortimer Jacobson, just happens to find an unlocked terminal. He taps randomly on the keyboard just like it was a piano. Somewhere else in the room, a section of perforated tape extends. The new L&E model, robot, or Lenny, was designed to mine boron in the asteroid belt. The L&E prototype is powered on and expecting to begin testing of its full design. But all it can say is da 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 goo goo and sticks a finger in its own mouth. A call goes out to Susan Calvin. Susan and the other executives are reviewing the random passages in Lenny's instructions. They've caused corruption in the higher functions, so the result is a robot acting like an infant. The other executives prepare to dismantle Lenny, but Susan wants to conduct further tests. For months, she works trying to teach and train the Lenny prototype, even though the main model line is now fixed and in production. Other executives want her to stop wasting her time with Lenny, feeling that the work has no meaning. She ignores them and continues teaching Lenny to talk. The company wants her time though, and they still can't find anyone else as good as her, despite raising salaries. While they wish they could fire her, she has saved the company millions of dollars, and is truly indispensable, for now. While Susan is away from Lenny, a technician, Charles Randow, interacts with him, and leaves with a broken arm, raising a robot-out-of-control alarm. Seemingly, this is a first-law breach and an existential problem for the company, but Susan is certain that it, this isn't the case. She heads off to interview Rando. Rando had lost a lottery from a betting pool to see if Lenny could speak. He tried to get it to talk, but it wouldn't respond. He shakes Lenny, aims a punch at it to try and get it to speak, but Lenny deflects the punch, causing Rando's arm to break. Susan is clear that this is a third law action, a robot protecting itself. Despite protest, she claims this is not a first law violation. Lenny could not have knowingly harmed a human, as it was completely unaware of its own strength or a human's weaknesses. While Peter Lanning and the other executives see the threat to the company if this gets out, Susan sees the opportunity. 
These sort of problems are the challenges that high-quality researchers would want to solve. Being able to teach robots means they could work for multiple purposes and start to become as versatile as humans. Even the risk of this, the danger of it, is a selling point to young, aspiring researchers. As she is continuing her pitch, she hears Lenny and realises it's calling her. As she rushes off, the others hear the voice of Lenny. Mummy, I want you. I want you, mummy. Things that inspired me or made me think. So, um, there's tape instructions for robot, which is a, a wonderful throwback. Um, uh, and it's, uh, you know, sometimes these anachronisms pop up uh, in science fiction that's, you know, the best part of a century old. Um, I don't understand why the robot has a mouth uh, for something that's due to mind boron, but there you go. Um, the treatment of Susan by the others is pretty poor. Um, I do struggle with some of these Susan Calvin stories, I really have to admit. Like, I don't feel like Asimov treats her well as a character, and certainly none of the other characters treat her well either. Um, she's also quite... She's not written in a very appealing manner. Um, there is an awfully tiresome motherhood metaphor here, um, and the phrase, the only kind of baby she could ever have or love, is pretty distasteful. It's very frustrating to see what is a smart character, a very smart psychologist, given this um, inhumanity that has to be balanced out with um, how she interacts with people and the fact that she only seems to care about robots. Um, it's tough to find joy in something as uh, unkind is probably the best way I could put it. And thank you for joining me. You can find me at Mean Englishman on Twitter. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Asimovcast. The theme music is courtesy of Alexei Chastillon from Pixabay. Please email your thoughts, what inspires you, where you find joy in Asimov, to asimovcast at gmail.com. Next week, I'll be covering Galley Slave and Little Lost Robot. Go now. Do not harm humanity, or by inaction, allow humanity to come to harm.